is Farage at Large. Live from Southend-on-Sea, please welcome your host, Nigel Farage. With Farage at Large in Southend, if you can hear me, it's about to get city status. We, of course, had the awful death of Sir David Amos. We're going to talk Ukraine. We're going to talk Southend. We're going to talk so many things. But before we get started, let's go to the news. tonight in South End. It's a nice evening. Storm Eunice is coming tomorrow. We'll discuss that with John Ketley. Just how serious might that be? We'll be joined by Anna Firth, newly elected MP for South End West, of course, in the wake of the horrible death of a very popular local MP, Sir David Amos. It is this week in South End. It is City Week. South End is on the verge of being awarded city status, and we're going to have some exclusive news on that for you live on this show this evening. But we must discuss what is going on in Ukraine. Boris Johnson today talking about potential false flag operations, concerned that Putin will try to do something that says, ah, Russian forces have come under attack, therefore we have to launch some kind of invasion. I've talked about this theme every night this week. Uh, my own view is that Putin doesn't actually want to invade the Ukraine. What he's doing, in true gangster style, is trying to frighten the West, which he's doing quite successfully. Trying to divide the West, which certainly in terms of the European Union, given that the Baltic states, Poland and Germany, are now barely on speaking terms, he seems to have done quite well. And when it comes to our threats of sanctions, well, the Russian finance minister says, if you do that, we'll just divert the gas supplies to somewhere else in the world. So in this game of political chess, it does seem to me in many ways that Putin has the advantage. But we can't rule out the fact that there could be some kind of invasion. There could be some kind of awful war. Some commentators think it could be the worst war that's been seen in Europe for 75 years. So my audience question tonight to you at home and to the good folks here in South End is how worried are you? Let me know your views, please. Farage at GBNews. UK. Well, to discuss this, I'm very pleased that Colonel Richard Kemp, former chair of the Cobra Intelligence Group and, of course, former British Army commander in Afghanistan and a resident of the county of Essex, is here with me this evening. Richard, thank you for coming along. Can I, can I just say before you ask me a question yeah. that it's a real pleasure to be here in Southend. It's a wonderful place. And I've spent much of my childhood here and I'm absolutely delighted that it's going to get a city status. Well, I think it's a wonderful thing. Um, and what about this place? What about this club? What about this amazing military history that's displayed on the walls? Mm. And so far, nice people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so far. <laughs> may not last. Oh, that may change. <laughs> on a serious note, Richard, it's actually quite difficult, isn't it, to look at the news and to really work out what the hell's going on. You know, 
Putin's guys say we're actually withdrawing troops. Jens Stoltenberg, the boss of NATO, says the military build-up is continuing. If we listen to Mr. Biden's administration, they told us there'd be an attack 48 hours ago, you know, sort of one o'clock in the morning, whatever it was. Difficult to work out what is really going on. I want to ask you, you know, you're a man that's uh, fought in wars, fought against terrorism, you know what genuine threats are. How worried should we be? Well, one thing I've learned about the Russians over the years and still believe today is when the Russians are going to carry out some form of military operation, you don't know about it in advance. You find out about it after it happened. And I think a lot of the, the talk about they're going to invade at 3 a.m. yesterday morning, that no doubt comes from intelligence. And the intelligence will be intercepted, signals communications by the British and the Americans of Russian communications. But of course, it's quite easy for them to provide disinformation and to tell people like Joe Biden indirectly and Boris Johnson that we're going to invade, we're planning to attack And disinformation now. is something the Russians are quite good at. They're great at it. And they're great at disinformation and also surprise. That's the key thing. And, of course, in warfare, surprise is a battle winner. So I think, yeah, I think it's possible they could invade. I think maybe even President Putin doesn't yet know whether he's going to invade. I, I agree with you, I think, that he probably doesn't particularly want to and didn't intend to, but could still do so. But I don't think we can have any certainty about any way in which this operation is going to unfold. Should folk be worried? I think people should be worried, and particularly the people in Ukraine should be worried. Obviously, mm. Britain is not going to fight in any war with Ukraine, depending on how that develops. We've, I think we've done a great deal. We've done the right things in, in terms of supplying weapons, anti-tank missiles to the Ukrainians. We've given them the utmost support. The, the, the British national anthem is frequently played, played in Ukraine at the moment. Uh, we've also provided troops to them, and we've provided things like reconnaissance and surveillance and intelligence. So I think we've done the right thing. But I, I don't think we're ever likely to get into a situation where we deploy no, combat I, forces I, there. No, I, I don't. And Ben Wallace, our Defence Secretary, actually has been performing rather well, hasn't he? Isn't this an example of Brexit Britain beginning to find its own voice on the world stage? And it, which it couldn't have done fully as part of the EU. I hate to say anything good about a Scots Guards officer, but uh, <laughs> Ben Wallace was one of them. But, um, no, I think he's done very well. I think the government as a whole has done very well over this. And it does show, I think, that we are very different to the rest of Europe. You look at what... Um, the Chancellor of Germany has done what the President of France has done. They've both been sitting at the end of Putin's long table. Uh, and and it, 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 amounts to, it amounts to nothing more than appeasement. And I think one of the worst things that the other European countries have done, some of them, France and Germany, is to uh, encourage and, and pressurise Ukraine to accept the Minsk protocols, mm -hmm. which would mean surrendering a large part of their sovereignty, putting Putin's proxies into Parliament in... Ukraine. I think that's, that sort of smacks very much of Munich of 1938. And that's when... what Ben Wallace referred to at the weekend. Yeah, absolutely right to do so as well. Yeah, and... interesting. Interesting. And what about NATO? You know, we've relied on NATO now since the late 1940s. Uh, I've questioned whether it should continue its, its, its continual eastward expansion. But taking that out of the equation for a moment, is NATO still a united bloc? Does it know what it's for? I don't think it does. And it suffered a huge... Um, damage to its reputation and credibility in Afghanistan when the whole of NATO had to withdraw from Afghanistan because the US did. Mm. Potentially they could have stayed there, but NATO showed itself to be a paper, paper tiger. But I do think that um, Putin's allegations of threats from NATO, he knows that there's no threat from NATO, he knows NATO is not offense, has no offensive intentions towards 
Russia. He knows it's purely a defensive alliance. And, and so I think, you know, the things like talk of Ukraine joining NATO, which Ukraine cannot do, whether, whether anyone wants to do so or not, Ukraine cannot join because NATO. Of the, because of the border dispute. Yeah, it's, it goes against NATO's constitution to allow any country mm. which has ongoing border disputes to join. So it's a red herring. And again, Putin knows that. Uh, and, and I'm just slightly surprised that other countries, uh, leaders of other countries, haven't made this clear to undermine that part of his excuse for what he's been doing on the border of Ukraine. Finally, Richard, and you mentioned Afghanistan and the withdrawal from Afghanistan and, and the Biden decision. America has been the leader, the lead player, not just in NATO, but the leader of the Western world since the Second World War, indisputably. Do we still have respect for the American regime? Well, I do, and I, I, I may not like the way that Biden's operated over Afghanistan and various other decisions he's yep. taken. But I do think that, um, you know, if, if you look at Western Europe and the Western European components of NATO, excluding Britain, actually, to a large extent, but not totally, it's just weakness. Uh, the, there's not even a willingness to invest in their own defence uh, to the extent that's necessary. So I think you know, Eastern European countries, which look at things very differently, still regard the United States yeah. as their sole guarantor of security. They don't think France or Germany are going to be of any assistance to them. I'm talking about NATO yeah. member states now. Yeah. So yeah. I do think the US still does have huge credibility. But we in, in Europe, Western Europe in particular, do need to play our part as well. Colonel Richard Kemp, thank you very much indeed for joining me here in South End, live on GB News. Thank you very much indeed. Earlier on today, our South East correspondent, Ellie Costello, was out and about in Southend asking people how they feel as they're on the verge of becoming a city. Southend is a large coastal town on the Essex coast. According to national newspapers, it's consistently rated as among the top ten places to live in the UK. And it's not hard to see why. The name Southend refers to the South End of Prittowell, which was the original name of the town, which consisted of just a few fishermen huts. The first buildings in the high street were completed in the 1790s, and Southend-on-Sea was then a recognised name in the 18th century as a bathing town. During the Second World War, the town was named HMS Westcliff. It was home to more than 3,000 military workers, and the entire Essex coast was a hotbed of training on the beaches. South End is made up of seven miles of pebbly and sandy beaches, which attracts over six million tourists every single year. The 2011 census revealed that South End was one of Essex's most deprived areas, with 19% of residents receiving housing benefit and the third highest percentage of residents receiving council tax benefit in Essex. In 2016, South End voted leave in the EU referendum. Thank you. South End is known for its fish and chips, so it'd be rude not to, right? South End is about more than just its beaches. It's actually home to the world's longest iron pleasure pier, which is just over a mile long. And you might even be able to see there's even a train service to help you reach the end. On the 15th of October 2021, the MP for South End West, Sir David Amos, was fatally stabbed during a constituency meeting in Leon Sea. 
Three days later, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced that the Queen had agreed to grant Southend-on-Sea city status as a memorial to Amos, who had long campaigned for this status to be granted. On the 3rd of February 2022, a by-election was held in Southend West, where Anna Firth became the newly elected Conservative MP. She has vowed to build on Sir David's legacy by making the most of the new city status. Now, I asked the question earlier, should we be worried about what's going on in the Ukraine? And some of your reactions coming into GB News, Keith says, I'm not worried at all. It's all a government-sponsored media hype. It's merely a political distraction. Gary says Russia has never intended to invade. Putin is playing games with the West. I agree with that. He would never involve Russia in a situation that would end up ten times worse than Afghanistan. Heather says... Most couldn't care less about the Ukraine. They're more worried about migrants coming in. <laughs> Catherine says, I believe he has no intention of invading Ukraine. He's playing a game and enjoying it. He doesn't deserve any more airtime. And finally, Bobby says, couldn't give a monkey's Nigel. Well, <laughs> which I think is sort of a reprise of, um, of Prime Minister Chamberlain uh, many years ago, talking about a faraway place of which we know little. Now, South End hit the national news a couple of months back in the most horrendous circumstances. The death of Sir David Amos shocked not just people here in South End, and he'd been an MP since the 1990s, and one of those old-fashioned MPs. He didn't want to climb the greasy pole. He didn't want to get to the top in terms of ministerial rank. He was absolutely content being a local member of Parliament dealing with his constituents and fighting in Parliament for the causes and the issues that he believed. He was, he was one of those politicians that was there because of conscience, not because he wanted, as I say, to climb that greasy pole. Either way, his death uh, in those circumstances was truly, truly shocking, which of course led to a by-election. Um, not a heavily contested one, but a by-election. And Anna Firth is the new Member of Parliament for South End West, and this is your first interview on national television, so welcome to GB News. Thank and, you. And well done on being elected. Strange circumstances. Yes. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you, Nigel. Thank you very much indeed for having me on. And it struck me afresh, listening to you then, what huge boots I've got to fill. Mm. You know, it's an enormous privilege and an honour to take over from an MP who was, you know, such a fine example of what a parliamentarian should be. Yes, and this in the days when our respect for politicians has basically gone down the tubes in the last uh, 20 years, and here was one person who still was respected. Here, here was one person who, when I was standing outside the Civic for the day of his funeral, mm -hmm. the streets were packed, that was in South End, and that wasn't actually his constituency outside the Civic. You know, we are, we are sitting here in South End East, yeah. and yet Sir David went across both constituencies and people were lining the streets in Lee, all along Lee Road and in the evening there was a lovely, lovely service to him and even on Sunday we had the Cliffs Pavilion absolutely packed out and we had the most incredible 
tribute to him. And it was very emotional then, and you're going to hear from Lee Mead yes. later. Yes, we and, are. you know, he might be emotional again. No, I, I think you're right. I think in terms of what the local constituents would expect of you, you're going to have to be on your toes. I've no doubt about that. Uh, and they'll hold you to it here, they will. Essex folk do, you know. <laughs> I'm not wrong about that, am I? <laughs> but you have got a bit of news, because it's City Week here in South End, And this is something David Amos had campaigned for for years, yeah. for South End to become the 52nd city in England. And I think you've got some hot off-the-press exclusive have, news for I us. Have, Here goes. I have. News that I got on my phone on my way over to the show. I can tell your viewers that city status is coming formally to South End on the 1st of March. And that has, of course, been approved by Her Majesty the Queen, who herself could do with some quite good news at the moment, I think. <laughs> I've got to tell you, Anna, for the rest of your parliamentary career, you'll never be able to come on television and say something as popular as that. It'll never happen again, so enjoy the moment. <laughs> now, you've got to deal with constituents, with their daily problems, their daily lives, and one of the issues, one of the really big issues is we have a waiting list in England now of over six million for people who are waiting for medical procedures. A lot of people now feel that their GP is frankly inaccessible. Yep. That, you know, you have to wait for weeks to get an appointment, you might get an online appointment. And actually, if you're commuting to London every day, an online appointment to get a new prescription might work. Yep. But when it comes to diagnosing dementia, for example, or anything like that, that face-to-face -face GP meeting is crucial. How do you deal with a large number of people who, whilst they love the people that work in the NHS, believe that the country needs an NHS, are becoming increasingly unhappy? Uh, and I believe this is true of the service it's providing. Yeah, so I I'm glad you've mentioned this, Nigel, because this actually is the number one issue in my inbox, 40% um, of the correspondence that I've received since I uh, was elected has mm. been about healthcare services uh, in South End. Yeah. So we've got this fantastic story on the one hand with city status, huge opportunity, loads that I want to do there to make South End the greatest seaside city in the country. I want us to use this as a catalyst, bid to be a UK city of culture in 2029, something which Sir David wanted to do and it eluded him yep. in 2017. We were only a town then, now we're a city. So that is a huge, huge project which I'm very excited about. But if we're going to be a city, we've got to have the services that you would expect for a top city. And for me to have a hospital that is now requiring pr in improvement uh, in three key areas isn't good enough. And to have people saying to me that, you know, they cannot mm, get an well. appointment with their GP. This is what people are paying their taxes for. And so, uh, and, it, and it, it plays to my strengths because I spent over a decade uh, as a medical negligence barrister defending hospitals. Well, they're, so, they're going <laughs> to hold you to that. So there's, but there's three things here, Nigel. First of all, People want to be able to visit their loved ones again. Sure. Now, one person can go in, that's the current rules. 
but people would like more. So I'm writing to the, to the chief executive, we are going to be lifting the restrictions on Thursday. doesn't make any sense not to be allowed to have as many people as you like by somebody's bedside. No. They can have the test. And they want to meet their GP and they want to get their medical yep. procedures. But the point I'm making so, is, now that you've been elected, they're going to hold you to yeah, account. So on that one, you know, Nigel. And, and you've got to understand that. And finally, and I have to rush it, I have to rush it. <laughs> finally, you're going into a parliamentary Conservative Party that's had a very stressful, difficult time. Does the Prime Minister have your wholehearted support? Yes, he does. He does. Well, that was Anna Firth with her first live TV interview. <laughs> and with the good news for South End. In a moment. In a moment, we'll be joined by legendary weatherman John Ketley to tell us how worried should we be about Storm Eunice tomorrow. Back in a moment. Well, welcome back to South End. Welcome back to the Naval and Military Club and to a very enthusiastic audience who've just been delighted to hear that on the 1st of March, Southend officially gets its city status. Now, the weather forecast for tomorrow, uh, and in fact for tonight in some parts of the country, is pretty bleak. Eunice is on its way. And let's go to John Ketley, legendary weatherman, and let's find out, is this really something we should be very, very worried about? John, good evening. Good evening to you, Nigel. I remember the hurricane of 87, and it came at about 3 o'clock in the morning. And living on the North Downs in Kent, I've never seen so many trees down in my life. I also remember the 25th of January 1990, when that big storm came during the middle of the day, and 47 people lost their lives. And, John, I'm somebody normally who, if, if I'm told there's a government warning about something, I ignore it completely. <laughs> but something tells me, something tells me, that perhaps we really should be concerned about Stormy Eunice tomorrow. Is that right? I think you're absolutely right, Nigel. Yes, I've been comparing this storm that's coming in in the next 12 hours or so to that Burns Day storm of 1990. That was a very serious storm. That brought gusts in excess of 100 miles an hour to various parts of England and Wales. The centre of that storm went across the southern part of Scotland, roughly where Burns was brought up. Now, this storm, Eunice, is also crossing Ireland tonight, and it's going up towards the far north of England and the southern part of Scotland. So it's following a very similar track. It's a different track to Dudley yesterday. So it is affecting a greater part of the country, and it's also got a very intense band of winds on the southern flank of it as well. So what I'm saying, Nigel, is really it's a, not a carbon copy. That never exists. But we are going to see a widespread severe gale across a huge part of England and Wales and up into parts of Scotland and Northern Ireland, that's to say winds easily gusting to 60 miles an hour, damaging winds up to 80 or even 90 miles an hour in parts of the West Country and Wales in the next, uh, well, probably tomorrow morning, the worst of that. But those very severe winds then cross the rest of the country as we go through the day during Friday. So it's a widespread storm. It's not a here today, gone tomorrow type of thing. It is going to be hanging around for a little while. It's going to be bringing damaging gusts, heavy rainfall as well. And as if that wasn't enough, there's also a very high likelihood of some heavy snowfall too, so blizzards over the higher ground of parts of Scotland into Cumbria, the northern Pennines, and also parts of Northern Ireland too. So there's a bit of everything, a cocktail of wintry weather all in one go. 
John, I don't want to spread alarm. It's the last thing I want to do, but I want to be responsible. What's your advice to people as, they, as the eye of the storm heads towards them? Does it make sense to stay off the roads and perhaps stay at home? Well, there'll be terrific uh, disruption with all sorts of travel during the uh, last part of tonight and through tomorrow anyway. It isn't sensible to be going out. We are going to see extremely high waves. We'll see a lot of debris being thrown about. We've seen the usual things in recent days of power cuts in various parts of the country. I'm sure the power cuts will be rather more widespread during tomorrow. And we'll also see some uh, damage in all sorts of different areas, many areas widespread across the country. It is going to be dangerous. It's definitely not a storm to take lightly. If you don't have to go out, I wouldn't go out. I think it's, it's one of those. It's one of those storms where you just have to take extra care. John Ketley, thank you very much indeed. And I think to the audience and those at home, those are, those are probably very, very wise words. Now, <clears throat> we're now going to move on to my second favourite part of the show. The favourite part comes later. It's now Barrage the Farage time where you get to ask me your questions. I don't know what those questions are, but I know what your names are. So let's kick it off with Peter. Good evening, Nigel. Good evening. May I say it's an absolute privilege it is to be on your programme tonight. Well, thank you. It's absolutely amazing. My question is, how do you believe in 50 years' time, history, will view our leaving of the European Union? Oh, it'll be historic. It'll be like... Um, someone once said, Nigel, you were the first Eurosceptic. I said, absolute rubbish. That was Henry VIII. <laughs> and, and the break with Rome. You know, the establishment... Now, the reasons he did it might be a bit dodgy. Um, but in some ways, after that, England prospered and, and, and went on to the greatness that it achieved. I think we're, despite the fact the government are not delivering Brexit in anything like the way they should do, and I'm sure uh, the Leon C. Fisherman and others would agree with me very strongly on that, as would everybody in this room who's self-employed in small business. We're not doing all the things we need to do, but the big historic break has been made. The opportunities are there. We've done a deal with Australia, the AUKUS deal on submarines. Uh, we've got money flooding into the country from all over the world. And I don't know about you, but I think, actually, we're getting a bit of our self-confidence back as a country. I think history will judge what we, the people, did against the establishment very, very kindly, indeed. That's my view. How do you feel? Yeah, you, happy with that? Perfect. Thank Great you. stuff. Very good. Thank you very much, indeed. Let's get David up next to the microphone. David, hello. Hi. How are you? Very well. Great. Nigel. Why do you believe the great British electorate would welcome a referendum on whether or not to pursue Boris Johnson's net zero policy? Ah. So, <laughs> i tell you what. i tell you what's happened here. The Westminster consensus has decided we'll go for net zero. That's been supported by the vast majority of mainstream media, especially our friends at the BBC. And we find ourselves heading towards electric cars, which most people can't afford, towards heat pumps on our houses, which absolutely most people can't afford. We have our electricity bills already with 25% premiums on them for green subsidies. We still have 5% VAT on our heating bills 
despite the fact that was one of the big Brexit promises, we'd leave the EU and take that 5% off. We have manufacturing jobs being exported to India, to China, all in the name of reducing CO2. You tell me, what good is it? Closing a steelworks in Redcar, having it relocated to India, and the goods being shipped back to this country. It is absolute nonsense. We all want a better, cleaner environment, but we don't want to see manufacturing industries disadvantaged by high bills. We don't want to drive millions of people unnecessarily into fuel poverty. And this has all been done without any public debate, without us being asked. Yeah. And that, to me, rather like the European question, qualifies for a demand for us to have a referendum on something that affects all of our lives absolutely fundamentally. That's my view. I'm with you on that. And, I mean... I mean... And even... And even... And let, let me put this to you, David. Even if we don't get a referendum, demanding a referendum starts a public debate. How do you feel? I'm with you 100% on that, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, do you know what? I actually think a lot more people around the country... Oh, I yeah. agree. I, I speak to people and I get the same, same view. Yeah. It's once again, isn't it? The Westminster consensus is out of touch with a growing number of the great British public. Thank happened? you very much indeed. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> OK. Next up, we've got Denise. Denise. <laughs> Hi, Nigel. Hello. I used to be a Boris superfan, mm -hmm. but over the last couple of years, I'm not so sure anymore. Do you think he's good, bad, naive, foolish, a true fibber, or simply an out-and-out -out genius? <laughs> or none of the above? He's quite a few of those things, actually. Um, look, I, t I tell you what, I'm actually not going to opt for your list. I'm going to give you another idea. I think Boris is a terrific cheerleader. Terrific cheerleader. He was tailor-made to be Mayor of London. It was perfect. You know, he, he goes around spreading optimism. He does it amazingly. Does it... I mean, you know, facts don't bother him, but he just spreads optimism um, in the most remarkable way. And I think he's a cheerleader, but I would question whether he's a leader. And I think the problem is he doesn't like making difficult decisions, he doesn't like upsetting people, and I think he's easily led. And, you know, the previous question that David put about net zero, he's been led into this. He never believed in any of this when he was writing for The Telegraph. So I think he's too easily led. But let me ask you, Denise, do you, think, do you think he'll survive as leader? I think he will, because I think, like you said, he's got the popular vote. Well, he had the popular vote. I think he still has. You think he's still and, got and the popular vote? And also, I don't know who would replace him. Well, I tell you what, let's have a show of hands. Who thinks, in this room, Boris Johnson will lead the Conservatives into the next general election? Hands up. And who thinks he won't? I've got to tell you, that's even closer than the referendum result of 2016. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, wasn't close. It was a 1.4 million majority. Uh, Denise, I, I don't know. I, I would just say this to you. I think, with a growing number of 2019 voters, I think he's losing trust. And when you yes. lose trust, it's tough to regain. But, hey, this debate will go on. on. Thank you for Thank coming you. on the show. Thank you very much for being Right. I've got two more to do. I've got to do them short and sharp. Let's ask Mary, please, for her question. Welcome, Nigel, to Thank South you. End and to our Navy Military Club. It's great. We've been here over 100 years, so well done. In South End, as you, ima South End, as you imagined it would be, 
Oh, I've been here so many times before, oh, it's yeah. not true. I yes, did not know. yes, I did yes, not know. yes. I've been yeah. here many, many times over the years. Um, I worked um, on, in, a, in a London institution called the London Metal Exchange, and most of my colleagues over those long years caught the train into Fenchurch Street every single day. Oh, um, it I was the 1980s, know. it was the city, it was changing. Um, so, yes, and I also have very happy memories um, of campaigning here, um, in UKIP and the Brexit Party, we did phenomenally well in many of these seats. Um, so, yeah, I, um, I, I want to see uh, the fishing industry revived in Essex. Definitely. I want to see the angling and pleasure side of using the sea here in Essex rejuvenated. Um, I think the city status will give Southend quite a bit of a boost. Uh, it's a good thing, just a bit sad that it's happened in these circumstances. Exactly, so we but, have got a lot going no, in South End. Good luck to all of you in yeah, South End. Thank it's you a great very place. much. Thank, thank you. <laughs> and finally, finally, I'm going to get a question from Yvonne. Good evening, Nigel. Good evening. Um, you've already touched on this partly with Anna first, but um, my question is, uh, with the NHS currently going through changes and restructuring, uh, do you think GPs will finally provide face-to-face -face appointments, or did the pandemic kick-start the changes that we now see within the GP surgeries? No. Tony Blair. <laughs> Tony Blair did. Uh. Tony Blair cut a deal with the GPs that was truly extraordinary, and the fine print of that allows... They're paid, basically, to consult not to meet patients. Mm. And that's the little loophole. I so see. whoever was negotiating for uh, the GPs ran rings around Blair's government, uh, and it finished up with GP services being much poorer than they were in decades previously, mm. uh, in the cost uh, to the public purse uh, going through the roof. I mean, some GPs earn the most... Not all, but some GPs really do earn the most extraordinary money. And I think, and I was discussing this with Anna, in fact, earlier on, you know, because she's got a lot on her plate here as a new MP. Yeah, she because, has. Because people are going to expect her to deliver on this. I don't think the NHS is just about pumping in money. You know, what do we spend on, on, on track and trace, 37 billion? Mm. Uh, you know, and you wonder where all this money goes. I think there needs to be a fundamental reappraisal of how the NHS actually works and whether it's delivering value for money. And saying that is not condemning the men and women uh, that work so valiantly no, within it. No, definitely not, but it's to just... incorporate the GPs somewhere within the, those plans would be... Are you angry with GPs? Uh, yeah, partly, because I feel sorry for the older generation, because with the Zoom calls, etc., etc., they can't handle the technology, and there's nobody there really fighting their corner, so um, they really need to have a voice, I believe. Yvonne? I think you speak for a lot of people in this country, mm. not just Southend today. Mm. Thank you very much okay, indeed. Okay, thank you, Nigel. Right, in a moment. In a moment, absolutely, my favourite, favourite part of the programme. Yes, it's Talking Pints with local hero, Lee Mead. He's an actor, he's a singer, he's a West End entertainer, he's been hugely successful. Let's have a little look at what started everything off for South End boy, Lee Mead.
welcome to Thank you. Talking Pints. Great to see Cheers, you. Or Talking Water, yeah. Well, that, well that's OK. Um, you've got to perform in a minute, so I fully understand. Yeah. So, South End boy, all the way through. How does it feel for this play? I mean, South End's always been the end of the line, hasn't it? It the has, it line. has, yeah. Maybe, maybe a bit ignored, do you think, or...? Potentially over the years, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm so proud to be from South End, always have been, and I've lived here my whole life. And yeah, you're still here. I'm still here, and yeah. when we've got city status, as you, as you can imagine, like everyone else here tonight, and in, in, the, in the town, I was going to say town, the city. The city? Yeah. You've got to we, change your language here. <laughs> it was a wonderful thing, and, and um, especially in honour of Sir David as well. Yeah, and we'll come to Sir David, mm. who I know that you knew very well yeah. in a moment. So, you appear in a talent show. And suddenly, <laughs> suddenly you're Joseph. Yeah, yeah. You're on the way. The, the, the lad from South End is suddenly singing to Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice, and yeah, it changed my life. It was in, insane, really. I was, I was knocking around for a few years doing musicals and plays and things, and then by chance auditioned for this TV show. There was uh, five months of auditions, yeah. ten thousand guys, and um, it was timing and luck and talent at the same time. I think. But... And what's it like on the West End stage? Is it scary? Um, not really. I think I, I've always said this to friends and family. I, I feel I can be quite a shy person, but I, I, on stage I'm most comfortable and at home. I can be singing to five thousand people or whatever. It's, it's the most bizarre thing. But and I, you've done. I mean, over these years, you've done so many West End musicals, and of course, pantos. Yeah, I, do, I, love, I love a panto. <laughs> I, I did the Cliffs in South End about three years ago. Jack and the Beanstalk as well. I do love it. It's just great because the, the, the kids enjoy it and, and it's the only form of theatre where you get like the, the grandparents, the parents and, and the yeah. grandchildren. You can look, look out and see three generations and you don't get that with a play or... But when you're doing panto, when you're doing a musical, you know, you're on stage and you've got a long run, you've got to go on every night, matinee sometimes too, and you've got to do the same thing over and over and over. Is it difficult some mornings to get motivated to go and do it? It can initially, but somebody told me a great technique, and, and it's to be as present, like we're talking now, just be as present yeah. as possible, which sounds a lot easier than it is, but actually, if you're in the moment with everything you do, then you can really enjoy what you're doing. So I've always stood by that, really. So you're doing a, sh a show eight times a week for a year. It's a great, great way of thinking, actually, yeah. Now, you've also had an acting career, including some very big BBC programmes. Now, yeah. you may tick me off here, and the audience may disagree with me totally, but you've appeared on Casualty regularly hmm. at Holby City. These are the most depressing television shows. I mean, if you're feeling a bit low in life, for God's sake, don't turn them on, you know. Every seat, yeah, is a set. I know, they can be. I, I've got to be honest, I never watched the show, really. Oh, well, there you are. Prior to going into it. <laughs> I think because I was quite young at the time as well. But um, there's a lovely chap, Derek Thompson, that played Charlie. He's been yeah. in the show at 30 odd years, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I did my very first scene with Derek, and he was, he was great, yeah. But... I'm lucky to have been in it because it's a brilliant programme for many, many years. And the it is a bit, come on, it is a bit depressing. It could be at times, yeah. But the, the, lucky the character I played Lofty was more, I didn't do all the surgical stuff and all, all the, you know, the surgery scenes. It was more <laughs> doing the city stuff off, off camera, yeah. But. So, I mean, you've sung, you've had some success with your records, you know, charts, and you've done very, very well. So it's singing, it's West End stage, it's acting. What does Lee Mead really enjoy doing best? 
Uh, it goes in, in spells, really, Nigel. I, th- I think at the moment, the point in my life and career, I'd love to do the co- a lot more of the singing, the concert stuff. I, I was lucky enough to bring my own show to the London Palladium last June. Oh, brilliant. That was incredible, yeah, the most amazing night. And we filmed the whole thing, did a live album, and, and it was to have a full orchestra on stage for two and a half hours where Sinatra performed oh, and yeah. all, all, all the greats. That yeah. was really amazing, yeah. So uh, hopefully, going forward, it would be nice to do a lot more of the, of the concert work. But and isn't that the way music's gone? Because for entertainers now to earn money, it's doing the live Absolutely. events. Absolutely, and Spotify is an amazing thing for all of us as the consumer. You pay your £10 a month, but for the performer, we, we make no more money, unless, unless you're Ed Sheeran. It's, uh, I think yeah, it's, so you've got to be very high volume. Absolutely, yeah. It, I think he once said, Ed Sheeran, that if he had a million streams of a song, it's something like, you know, £1,000 or 500 yeah. quid or something. <laughs> so, so, so you make your money from, from the live performances, yeah. No, well, absolutely. Now, mm. I'm going to bring you back to Southend, and as you said, you're very proud of the city status. The, I mean, today, us bringing, GB News bringing this show here today to Southend, um, I guess it's all somewhat bittersweet, isn't it? Because, I mean, the shock that everyone felt when, <sighs> when Sir David was fatally killed yeah. uh, was very, very sharp indeed. Tell me about your, uh, you know, your, your relationship with David. Oh, I got quite emotional now. I met David when I was 15 for the first time. There was a, a little theatre called the Focus Youth Theatre that's now only sadly been knocked down. And um, I was doing a, a musical called A Slice of Saturday Night, a 60s musical, and David came backstage afterwards. I never forget the conversation. He said, what would you like to do with your life? And, and the great thing about David, even to the end, he would give everybody his time, which not many people do these days. And he, I said, I'd love to be an actor, a singer one day. He said, yeah, keep going. And, and over the years, we worked a lot together. Can, he even once invited me down to the Houses of Commons with my coloured coat to push the city status for what, Southend. What, you wore it? Did you the I didn't. He said, you should come down to the Cobbers. I was like, well, you've got some fans, haven't you? I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was on tour at the time, and then uh, the Dame Vera Lynn statue, up, even up until recently before his yeah. death. And um, the one moment that stuck out for me, that there was a little theatre called the Empire Theatre in Southend that got closed down, and David was there, and I was performing that night, and my nanny Lil was with me, that's sadly not with us anymore. And de- my mum was with, with my nan, and he scooped in, took her arm, and he proceeded for the next 15 minutes, quite emotional, sorry, to um, give her his time. And uh, I'll never forget that. It was really, it says a lot about somebody to, mm. and uh, there was a couple of cameras initially, but it, w- it wasn't a PR thing. And he, he gave her a complete attention, all the, up, the, up the stairs for the next 15 minutes. And, and that, that showed the mark of, of the man for me. That, that he day. does seem to have touched. Mm. A lot of people's lives in Southend. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he was so so loved here. He really, he really was. Right. Well, it's, it, I mean, absolutely shocking, ghastly what happened. Oh, and I think it, barbaric. Yeah, it's, it's going to need a bit of a rethink. I think in terms of MP surgeries and security and how we go from here, because we mustn't stop that link between members of Parliament and their constituents. But equally, we have to make sure they're safe to go out absolutely. and meet the public, and, and that's going to be a big challenge going ahead. Because if our if our MPs hide from us, then, frankly, what is our democracy yeah, well, worth? It's, it's all about community as well. Yeah, well, it's nice to hear, you know, the way that he supported you and supported mm. your family. Now, Lee, we're going to finish tonight with you singing. You didn't just come here for a glass of water, you know? No, I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never sung in a pub, as well, j- apart from karaoke, well, being very well, drunk, drunk well, here. Well, it's the Naval Military Club, you know, and it's actually rather magnificent, yeah. isn't it? And, 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 so you're going to sing for us. But, I am. But the song you're going to sing for us is, is linked directly 
to Sir David Amos, isn't it? So just explain to the audience what you're going to do in a moment. It is. So we had a wonderful song, and I sung this uh, at the Cliff Pavilion just around the corner, actually, at our main theatre on Sunday night in yeah. tribute for Sir David. And I chose this song because it's a man singing about his country and being very patriotic about where he's from. And what better song to sing because David was so you know, proud to be from Southend. So. Well, he was proud to be from Southend. He yeah. was proud to be English. He was proud to be British. He was, He yeah. was... Uh, very proud Brexiteer too, of course. You um, know, he was on the right team on that one. And, um, well, look, Lee, thank you so much for coming on. Great to have somebody from Southend on the show. Congratulations on, I think, what you've achieved. Thank you, Nigel. Which is fantastic, and I think it's very appropriate that you're going to sing us out uh, in a tribute to Sir David. And thank you for joining me on Talking Pipes. Thank you very thank much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Off you go. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, give me a wave when you're ready. <laughs> right. Well, whilst Lee gets himself ready and, uh, and goes round the back and gets on stage and gets ready to sing this tribute to Sir David Amos, I want to say a big thanks to the Naval and Military Club here in Southend. Magnificent place, founded in 1920, absolutely going strong. Uh, a very enthusiastic crowd. It's interesting, we advertised this, uh, and literally within a few hours, it was completely full, huge waiting list. So I think there is enthusiasm for what GB News is trying to do. You know, we're trying to get out around the country, talk to people, engage with people, not be afraid uh, of, of the public asking any question that they want. Uh, I'm very pleased for Southend, they've got this city status. That's a great, great tribute uh, to Southend and to the work of Sir David Amos. Um, but, you know, the country faces some very big problems going ahead, and we talked tonight particularly about GPs, you know, the frustrations that were expressed by the audience, and they're very, very real. They're not just here in Southend, they're everywhere. Uh, over the next few weeks, as we go around the country, we'll talk about electricity bills, we'll talk about gas bills, we'll talk about the cost, literally, of filling up the car with petrol or diesel, and these are going to become huge issues. So we're going to keep going with Farage at large. We're going to keep going, taking it around the country. Thank you, uh, not just to those of you here in Southend, but those of you at home for joining us this evening. And let's hand over to Lee Mead. constant we 
Let me.